0: Well, good morning everyone. Good morning. Could You please stand with us and sing along.
1: Okay. Give yeah,
2: thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His Lord is
1: Forever God is strong Forever God is with us Forever and Forever God is faithful Forever God is strong Forever God is with us God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever.
3: We are glad that you are here. Will you take a moment and welcome those around you? you may be seated. want to welcome you to uh, Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here with us this morning. I know we have uh, some visitors with us, so thank you for um, whoa, being here. Um, good morning. I didn't think I was on, and then all of a sudden I was on, and I was like, there we go. Uh, Well, this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you are here. Inside the Bulletin is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. um, And then you can put that in the box that is out there in the foyer. Uh, We had to call an audible um, this morning. I got a call last night from Miss Ann. A little after 11 o'clock, Mr. Curtis has a kidney stone. Um, So he spent several hours overnight, I think around 11.30, 11.45, that got to the hospital. He got home about 4 a.m., um, and so uh, so he's hopefully resting up and maybe feeling a little bit better that he's got some medicine in him. And so just continue to pray for Curtis uh, that this too shall pass and uh, and that he will uh, get to feeling better um, shortly. So but we had a great time last week, um, last Sunday at our church picnic. Man, if you were there, I, I know it was hot, but we had an incredible time and had some good food. Uh, thanks to those of you who always bring food and the Mazdans who cook for us and, and all the meat, and so we're so thankful for that. Our worship was incredible. Uh, thankful to Brian and Bill and, and Emma for leading us in worship, and it was just an incredible time of fellowship with the, with the body of Christ, and so um, thankful for that. Tonight, uh, we've got a couple things. we got an upward um, meeting at 4. Chris is going to make an announcement about that at the end of the service, but we're also going to pray for our schools tonight. So. Uh, we're going to start a little bit earlier. Normal, normally our activities are at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights, but because of the meeting, I don't think it will take them two hours. Uh, we're going to meet here about 5.30. We're going to meet in the sanctuary, uh, just take a moment maybe to pray together, um, and then we'll divide up among the schools. Um, and so and then we'll go and we'll pray at those schools and, and just pray for our teachers and our administration, our students, parents, um, and all of that. So if you're available tonight, let me encourage you to come. If for some reason it's nasty and raining, we'll either take umbrellas, bring an umbrella. If it were to be really, really nasty, I don't think it's supposed to be, we could just stay here and pray, but come be here at 5.30 tonight. Some other announcements. uh, If you want to do NBC's Got Talent, which is August 15th, we're going to start at 5 p.m. that night, so we're going to start a little bit earlier. Uh, You need to, well, it says please see Tim or Curtis. Well, you can't see Curtis. Um, and I know Tim was here for Sunday school. You just need to come see me, I guess. I'm the default, <laughs> if you, if you want to get involved in that. Children's Church will resume next Sunday. Um, I know parents are probably excited about that. I know my wife is excited about that. Um, Deacon elections, it's today and next Sunday. And so after the service, if you're a member of the church, um, you can vote for deacons. You can do that in the fellowship hall. We'll have some of our deacons out there, so make sure... Uh, you do that either this morning or next Sunday. One other thing, you'll see the announcement about Ruthie and Hyland. Uh, you know, they got married right in the midst of COVID, so they weren't able to do a reception. So they're going to have that for them. Please RSVP to Dennis or Robin. If you plan on coming, if you, can, if you can hear me right now, you are invited to come. It's for anyone in the church, anyone, anyone here. Just please see them and let them know that you're going to be here uh, to celebrate with Ruthie and Hyland on that day. All right, pray in the scripture, Psalm 86, verse 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Would you take just a moment, look over that verse, and let the Spirit of God prompt you as you pray through that verse. And then I will pray for us, and then we're going to sing uh, together some more. Father God, we have already this morning sung about your faithfulness. God, you are forever faithful. This morning, Father, maybe somebody needs to be reminded of that truth. God, that you are forever faithful. Maybe somebody else, Father, needs to be reminded that you are good. Maybe in in the negativity of the world that They live in or maybe just some bad things going on in their life. They're beginning to wonder and question, God, your goodness. Will you remind them this morning that you are good? Father, would you remind us of your forgiveness for us? As we sing about your amazing grace here in just a few minutes, Father, you have made a way for us to be right with you, to have peace with you, and it is all through grace. It is not through our own works or our own effort. It is through grace and grace alone father remind us of your abundant steadfast love as we declare your power your majesty your glory this morning as we open the word of god and begin our study through ephesians spirit of god just show up in this place show up in the homes uh in the cars wherever people may be this morning as they're tuning in on vacation or traveling or maybe they're under the weather Lord, we lift up Curtis and Ann to you this morning as Curtis is dealing with a kidney stone. We pray, Father, that you will just bring healing uh, to him. Lord, I don't know personally how painful those are, but I've seen it in my wife. It can can really take you down, and it can take you down quickly. So, Father, we pray that you'll restore him quickly as well. Uh, Lord, may we just glorify you today because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship together this morning so we're a little short-handed this morning so we're trying to make it make it work so uh please uh please sing out with us
1: in the dark. Lovely. be.
2: sing hallelujah we must
3: choir makes their way down, will you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you to our choir and to our praise team for just going on the fly this morning. Brian playing guitar, then keyboard, then leading the choir. Appreciate it very much, man. Ephesians chapter 1. One we'll get to the scripture in just a moment. In 1924, the identification division for the FBI, right, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, was established. 1924. It was to provide one central place, if you will, where the fingerprints would be stored. When you think about your fingerprints, right, your fingerprints are unique. No person has the exact same arrangement of of patterns ridge patterns on your fingertips they're unique not only are they unique uh, but they're consistent over time that is they remain unchanged Um, all of us have probably had to uh, be fingerprinted at some time i remember before we uh, adopted malachi we had to do our home study and part of the home study was we had to go get fingerprinted so we went to the office and um, we had to do all 10 fingers and it wasn't just where you set your finger on the screen. You actually had to roll it. So you set half of it, and then you would roll it all the way over, and then the next finger. And for whatever reason, I just had a really hard time with that. Ryan got a good laugh out of it, I mean, especially my pinky. Man, I'm, I was struggling, right, to get. She's like, you got to do it again. you got to do it again. I'm like, come on. I'm good. My background's fine. And, but eventually we, we figured it out, and there was nothing in, on my record, and we were able to um, adopt. But as I was thinking about Ephesians this week, as I was thinking about identity, who we are, I was reminded right of my struggle at the fingerprint office that day. So many people today, lost and saved, Christian and non-Christian are struggling with their identity. They're struggling. Who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Who or what defines me? And so as we study the book of Ephesians, we are going to notice, we are going to see some amazing, wonderful, glorious truths. And all of them are centered based upon who we are in Christ. In Christ. So that's the, that's the theme of our study in Ephesians. In Christ. And you'll notice, right, we got a fingerprint there. And on top of the fingerprint is the cross. Because our identity, who we are, is ultimately defined by who we are in Christ. And so big picture, as you think about Ephesians, six chapters. um, I talked last Sunday night about how Watchman Nee breaks up Ephesians based upon three words that appear. The first word is, is sit, who you are seated in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You're resting in that. And then he talks about walk in Ephesians 4, how we're to walk in a certain way, we're to live in a certain way. And then the last word he uses is stand, how we stand against the enemy. We put on the full armor of God. That's one way that you can think about how Ephesians is broken down. You can also think of it this way, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Focus primarily on doctrine. It is theology. It is the indicatives. It is this is who you are in Christ. This is what God has done for you. And then when you come to chapter 4, chapter 4, 5, and 6 becomes more practical. It, it begins to focus more on, on the behavior, like how we live in light of who we are in Christ. But there's one other way I want us to think about this. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, I want us to understand it's all about Done. It is all about what God has done for us in Christ. It's the indicative. It's done. Then when you come to chapters 4, 5, and 6, it becomes more imperative. It's more now based upon what Christ has done for you, go live like Christ would have you to live. You live in Christ, you live in the body of Christ. You Christ changes your marriage, your parenting, your relationships. It changes all of that. Let's not confuse those. There's a reason Paul starts with done before he gets to the do. You and I must rest in what Christ has done for us, and out of that, we then begin to live the way Christ would have us to live. So that's the big picture of Ephesians. This morning, we're going to spend about 30 minutes just in two verses. That's why we're going to take a long time to work through Ephesians. So if you have the copy of God's Word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Two verses. So much just in these two verses, though. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, Speak to us now, we pray. God, what we know not, will you teach us? What we have not, will you give us? Lord, may we see the truth of your word this morning. All that you have done, all that you are, and all that we are in Christ, and how that begins to transform and shape our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Here's the first thing I want you to notice, is we just kind of lay the groundwork here, introduction for uh, Ephesians. Number one, I want you to notice the author. The author. We start, verse 1, Paul, comma. So let's stop there. Paul. The author of Ephesians is Paul. He also mentions that in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul. Now, who is Paul? Well, before he became Paul, he was known as Saul. So interesting. Well, who is Saul? Well, Saul uh, came out of the tribe of Benjamin. He was probably, more than likely, named after King Saul. Uh, he, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious elite. right? He knew the law. He, we would say he was a religious man. But he was also known for being the persecutor of Christians, the persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. So Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, and Saul approved of his execution, speaking of Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. You gotta understand that the author of this letter, inspired by God, was a persecutor of Christians. He was attacking, arresting, having Christians murdered, thrown in prison. This is who he was. So when you read Paul, like don't skip over that. Because there is a drastic change that takes place in this man's life to go from persecutor of Christians to now he's writing a letter to Christians from God. Paul, we continue, an apostle, an apostle. That Greek word is apostolos. It means one who is sent with a message. Now when we hear the word apostle or the word disciple may also be used, we immediately think of the twelve disciples. Right? There were twelve Judas betrays Jesus, takes his own life. They replace Judas with Matthias. So we think of the twelve disciples or apostles. But Paul here also calls himself an apostle. Y'all don't skip over this. This is Saul, the one breathing threats and murder against the disciples, is suddenly and supernaturally saved while traveling to go persecute more Christians. God saves him. And it says, In falling to the ground, he, he, Paul, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The one who stands against Jesus and his followers has now become an apostle of Christ and is sent to Christ's followers and is sent with a message. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I've been sent. I have a message. But continue. What does he say? Paul, an apostle of who? Christ Jesus. This is significant. Paul has a message. Paul is writing letters. Paul is preaching messages. He has a message, and his message is about Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ had saved him. Jesus Christ had set him apart. Jesus Christ had called him. Paul has one authority, and his name is Jesus. And so when Paul goes and he preaches and he writes, he is writing under the authority of Jesus Christ. He has been sent out by Christ. So it shouldn't shock us that the central person in the book of Ephesians is none other than Jesus Christ. Look at the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Three times in the opening verses, he mentions Jesus. Jesus is the center of Ephesians. Paul continues, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This phrase, will of God, appears four times uh, in the opening verses, multiple times throughout the letter, four times in the opening verses. Paul is saying, listen, I've been set apart, sent out, I go in the authority of Christ, and I have been, I've done so by the will of God. God is sovereign over all things. This includes Paul's salvation, this includes Paul's being an apostle. Jesus said to Ananias, go. For he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Galatians 1.15 But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, Paul understands he is an apostle by the will of God. Hear me, this is important. Paul didn't volunteer for this. Paul wasn't just making his way down the road to Damascus and said, huh, great idea. I'm going to stop persecuting these guys and I'm going to become one. Paul didn't just come up with this idea. He didn't volunteer for it. I also want you to understand Paul wasn't appointed by the church. He didn't appear before church and they say, hey, we think you would be great at this. No, he was called by the will of God. This is the will of God. There is a significant difference, church, between a divine calling and someone who is self-appointed. Let's think about it in terms of preachers and pastors. I was called by God. Being a pastor wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something I just woke up and said, hey, I want to be a pastor. I want to do this. God called me. God has called people to be pastors. Church, the heart can be wicked. You better believe there are some men and some pulpits who are there, not because they've been called by God, but because they were self-appointed. They thought, hey, there's money in this. There's notoriety in this. There's popularity in this. They see other celebrity preachers and they think, man, I can do that. And so they self-appoint themselves, not called by God. But it doesn't impact just a pulpit. It's every area of your life in the church. You say, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. That's awesome. Are you called by God or you just want to be a Sunday school teacher? Like, is God leading you, laying it upon your heart to do this? If He is, you better do it. But if you just like getting up and talking and having people look at you, don't self-appoint yourself as a teacher. Like, our kids, we need people to work with our kids. I want you to be called by that. I don't want you to do it out of guilt and just self-appoint. Or they need somebody. I want you to be called. I want you to say, look, God is calling me to this. Whatever profession it is that you do, I believe God's called you to that. So if you're a nurse... If you're a teacher, whatever it may be, I believe God has called you for that. He has wired you in such a way. Worked through your experiences to lead you to the point where He has you where He wants you for His glory. Now let me make another point of application. This is really, really important as we study Ephesians. Verse 1 is very important for us because what verse 1 teaches us is that this letter and the Word of God is divine. It's divine. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's from God. This is the words of God. Paul makes that clear. I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've got his authority, and I'm in this position because it's the will of God. So, what Paul's about to say, what he's about to write, is the divine word of God, which means you and I don't have the right to redefine his word. If this is the divine word of God that we hold that has been passed down and preserved through the ages, if this is the divine word of God, then you don't have the right to redefine it. Hear me. I'm going to say this with love, but I'm also going to say it with passion because I'm very passionate about this. When it comes to the word of God, you have one of two choices. You take God's word and you receive it. You believe it you hold fast to it, or you take God's Word and you reject it. Those are your only two options. But we are living in a culture, and we are living among Christians who are trying to create a third option. They don't want to receive it in its entirety. They also don't want to reject the entire thing. So what do they do? They redefine it. right? They replace it. And so when you're coming through Ephesians... We're going to get into some things that are deep. And the temptation for you may be to push against it. No, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to know that. You can't do that. It's the Word of God. So you must receive it. And then when we get into the practical parts of it, you may say, but no. It says don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. You're like, no, i got some unwholesome words. I like talking the way I talk. You can't take the verses you don't want and push them aside and say, "Well, I'll choose to believe these. So when we come to this book, We take all of it, or we reject all of it. I'm going to tell you, right off the bat, Paul says, this is the Word of God. It's been, I've been called by the will of God, right? I'm of Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God. And so, here we have God's Word before us. Let us be faithful to study it, and to dive in it, and to see it. And that leads us to the second thing that I want you to see, and that is the recipients. The recipients. Who's Paul writing to? He says, to the saints, to the saints. That word is hagias. It means holy ones or set apart. It's, it's written to the saints. And the temptation may be to say, well, then I don't need it. Because aren't the saints those super spiritual people? Like those people who they've been nominated for sainthood. Like, I'm not a saint. I'm not in sainthood. Nope, we don't have saints in, in Baptist churches, right? That's, that's in a Catholic. They, they have the saints. And so this letter is obviously not for me. But that's a misunderstanding of the word saints. Because if you are in Christ, every one of us are saints. Therefore, this letter is written to you, to the saints, to the ones who are holy, to the ones who have been set apart for Christ. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes. He says, "...the profound, unfathomable truths of Ephesians were not written to great scholars or theologians." But to ordinary church members, that's good news. Because when Paul's talking about mystery and election and predestination, we might say, look, man, I'm just a common, ordinary Christian. I can't understand this. And I would say, yes, you're a common, ordinary Christian, but you also have the Spirit of God who lives in you, and the Spirit is a key emphasis in Ephesians. Therefore, you can know and understand. Because it's the Spirit of God who enlightens the eyes of our hearts as Paul says here in Ephesians 1. So we are saints. A couple things. When he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, a couple things. Number one, most scholars agree, when it comes to the Greek manuscripts, um, to the saints who are in Ephesus. A lot of our early manuscripts omit the who are in Ephesus. Some of them have them, some of them don't. And so what do we make of that? Well, most scholars believe that this letter was written first and foremost to those in Ephesus, where Paul spent two-plus years ministering to them, pouring into them. It was written to them, but then it was meant to be a circular letter. So it would come to Ephesus, but it didn't stay there. They would, they maybe make a copy, and they would pass it on to other churches. And so to the saints who are in Ephesus. So what is, what is Ephesus? Well, Ephesus was a large city. It was an important city in Paul's day, population of some 350,000 people. If memory serves correctly, they have a theater that was there that seated 20 plus thousand people. I mean, they had theaters way before we had theaters, right? It was a big city. It also had one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Diana or the temple of Artemis. She was a goddess, the goddess of fertility. And so Ephesus is a pagan place. Ephesus was a godless place, a prominent place in that day, but it was a godless place. To the saints, the holy ones, the ones who are set apart, who are in Ephesus, he continues, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now the word faithful here, I don't think is referring to their obedience or to their reliability. Sometimes we see that when we see the word faithful, but rather it is speaking of their faith and their belief in Jesus. What he's saying is you all are believers. You have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Who He is, what He has done for you. They have believed in Him. They have taken hold of Him by faith. So, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Point of application. We have saints. Those who believed on Jesus... Those who are in Jesus Christ, he says, and yet they are also in Ephesus. So here's the point of application these believers have two homes. They have two homes. They are citizens of two kingdoms. They are in Christ, that's who they are. Paul's very clear, but they also live in Ephesus or live in Laodicea or live in other nearby cities. They were saints. Living in a secular, godless world. They are seated, Paul says, Ephesians 2, I believe it's verse 6, they are seated in Christ in the heavenly places, and yet they live and walk upon the earth. They have two homes. In the midst of a pagan city, God's people were to be saints in the midst of a pagan city, God's people were to live holy lives unto their God. They were called out ones. Church, the same is true for you and I today. We are in Christ, in Noonan, or in Christ, in Sharpsburg, or in Christ in Coweta County, or in Christ in Georgia, or in Christ in America, in Christ and we're on the earth, right? We have this identity. We are in Christ, yet we live here in this city, and we work among people, and we have families and things that we enjoy. Now, here's the deal. You can only serve one master. You can't serve two masters. So, you got these two identities. I'm in Christ, yet I'm not actually in the presence of Christ yet, but I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, and yet here I am walking on the earth living in Noonan. Here's the deal. One of those will win. One of those will become more superior than the other in your life. One of those will rule and guide you as you live here in Noonan. It will either be the fact that you're in Christ, and that trumps the fact that you're in noon. Or it will be that you're in the world and in America, and that will be more important to you than the fact that you are in Christ. So um, anybody want to argue with the fact that our world is messed up? I don't think so. Anybody want to argue with the fact that America is messed up? Probably not. Why is America so messed up? Well, I think what's happening with a lot of Christians, what we're doing is we're beginning to point the finger at other people. Primarily politically. A lot of finger pointing right now. Well, that's the Republicans. It's the Democrats. It's the conservatives. It's the liberals. We're pointing. You, you may argue with me on this. I would argue with you that the reason America is in the shape that it is in has nothing to do with the culture. Whether you're conservative or liberal. Because the world's always been that way. I would argue the reason America is in the shape that it's in is because of the church. Just my opinion. Why? Why? Because we have stopped being defined by who we are in Christ, and we let the world define our thoughts, our opinions, and our beliefs. Let me just ask you. Your opinions, your beliefs, what you think about things, how you see the world, what shapes it more, Christ and His Word or Fox News, CNN, Facebook, if you're to sit down and have a conversation, and your first thoughts, what's governing them? The Word of God or the people on Fox News? And the reason I'm saying Fox News over CNN is because most of you in this room watch Fox News. Most of you probably don't watch CNN. you got to know your audience, right? If we were in a different church, it might be having to focus on CNN. But you got to know your audience. And so the point is, what shapes you? I believe if the church of Jesus Christ will return to Christ and our identity being in Christ, if we would say, listen, we want to be a people who live out Ephesians, who know who we are in Christ, and we want to live out chapters 4, 5, and 6, the way Christ calls us to live our lives, I believe if the church would do that, you will see a change in America. I believe that with all of my heart. You and I know it's not going to be solved by the people in Washington, D.C. It's just not going to happen. It starts in the church. And I believe Scripture gives the evidence of that. And I want to take you to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. This is Paul in Ephesus, the city right, that he is now writing this letter to. So God is doing a work here. There is some idolatry in ephesus there is some magic and, and all kinds of practicing of magic arts and, and all that stuff right it's just a wicked evil place and verse 14 says and god was doing extraordinary miracles there by the hands of paul but then you come to verse 20 and church if we would just regain this i think things will start to change it says this so the word of the lord continued to increase and it prevailed mightily It increased and it prevailed. Our God still saves, amen? Our God still transforms lives, amen? Our God still cares about His bride and His body, the church, amen? So if we, as the people of God, would return to our identity in Christ and we would begin to let people know, listen, what drives us isn't the world and the culture, but it's the Word of God, you know what's going to happen the Word of God is going to increase and it's going to prevail. And when the Word of God increases and it begins to get into people's homes, the Word of God prevails, and then you have people's hearts and lives changed. And if we would just go back to who we are in Christ, if we would just go back to Ephesians and begin to put these things into practice, look, the church would be different, your life would be different, your family's life would be different, Eventually, other people's lives will be different because God will use you to change lives. So, the Word of God, may it increase and may it prevail, even among us as we study Ephesians. And then lastly, let me point out the benediction. The word benediction simply means a blessing. This is Paul's blessing. He spends a lot of time in prayer through Ephesians, which is fascinating as you study that. But he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace he begins the letter with grace and peace he will end the letter with grace and peace and you will see grace and peace throughout for by grace you have been saved through faith ephesians 2 8 right in ephesians chapter 2 he talks a lot about peace and so john stott writes this he says we have peace through grace you and i can have peace through grace grace here isn't just speaking about favor may god's favor be upon you but i think grace here is speaking of god's saving initiative you know what you're going to see next week early on god's initiative to save that it's god the father right chose us in him before the foundation of the world that god is a god who desires to save to transform lives how does he save by grace it's not based upon your own doing, your own works, your, your efforts. It's based upon His grace, His mercy that He shows us. So we have peace through grace. Well, what is peace? Well, peace here speaks of God's initiative to reconcile us to Himself and others. You know, people always say, you know, what's one thing that you really want? I would love world peace. You know what world peace really looks like? You and I being reconciled to God and then reconciled to, the, to each other. That's where peace comes from. That's why the world is so dysfunctional. Because the world doesn't know that kind of peace. What do they know? Hey, let's just fight with one another. Let's just argue with one another. Let's just bicker with one another. Because nobody's got the answer. But, But what does Ephesians say? We have peace. And that peace comes through grace. Church, through the grace of Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled and can be reconciled to God the Father. And then, don't stop there. Then we are reconciled to one another. This is the church. The church of Jesus Christ is foundational in Ephesians. And we're going to look at the church a lot. And what is the church? And what does it look like to be the church? Because it's mentioned throughout these six chapters. Hear me, because of God's grace, we can have peace. We have access to all that He is and all that He has done for us. Several years ago, uh, MacArthur, John MacArthur mentions this in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, several years ago, the Los Angeles Times reported the story of an elderly couple. This elderly couple was found dead in their apartment. Autopsies revealed that both had died of severe malnutrition. Now you think, man, that's heartbreaking. Here's this elderly couple, so poor, so impoverished, that they can't even afford their own meals, and therefore they die of severe malnutrition. But that was not the case when they began to investigate. Because investigators found a total of $40,000 in paper bags stuffed in a closet. How could you die of malnutrition when there are $40,000 in your closet? Like you had the money to get food. Like a heartbreaking story. John MacArthur writes this. The book of Ephesians is written to Christians who might be prone to treat their spiritual resources much like that miserly couple treated their financial resources. Ephesians, 155 verses. It'll take you about 20 minutes to read the whole thing. Let me challenge you to do something. Read Ephesians all the way through at least once a week. Maybe every day. Spend the next three, six, nine months just immersed in the book of Ephesians with me. Maybe start memorizing parts of Ephesians. In this book, you will find divine beauty and divine power. Ephesians tells us of our great riches. That word riches is used over and over. Our great inheritance that is found in Christ and in the church. Jesus Christ is mentioned three times in the first two verses. He's mentioned five times in the first three verses. One commentary mentions that union with Christ and being in Christ is mentioned more in Ephesians than any other letter, 36 times. Paul uses this phrase 164 times in his 13 epistles. So as we close, as we begin this deep study in Ephesians, understand church Understand, Christian, that your identity is ultimately in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ. It is not in your performance. God's love for you is not based upon your performance. Your identity is not in your popularity, students. It's not in how popular you are at school or how many people like you or how many people know your name. Your identity is not in your productivity. Sometimes we become so productive, we just do, 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 that we fail to just sit and rest in who Christ is. Our identity is not in our productivity. Our identity is not in our prominence. And I've got good news for you. Your identity is not defined by your past. It's not defined based upon what you did or who you were. You can't say this morning, well, God can't use me because of this. Because the first word we read in Ephesians is Paul. I think Paul was a lot worse than you and I. Because I don't know if any of you have killed another Christian who was in the midst of worshiping Jesus Christ like Paul. That's why Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. And if God can use Paul, God can use you. But only if you understand who God is and what He has done for you in Christ. You take hold of the Word of God. You bring it into your life. You allow the Spirit of God to use it change you and then you go live it out this is ephesians i'm super excited about studying it with you Would you close your eyes and bow your heads father god my prayer is as simple as we begin this study through ephesians and that is simply god that you would do a great work in your church Because we are in Christ. Christ is in us. And if we're in Christ, that means we're also in the body of Christ. The body universal, comprised of believers from every age all over the world, but also the local body of Christ. The local church that would have been in Ephesus or in Laodicea or Philippi, these other places. Father, we are the church at Northside. We call ourselves Northside Baptist Church. We are comprised of individuals who have given their life to Jesus, who claim their allegiance to Christ and to his word. And some of us, man, God, we are walking in that truth. We are resting upon our identity in Christ. God, we are growing and, and being stretched and grown, God, in ways that maybe we have never been in our life. And I praise you for that, and I ask that you continue to do that work. But, God, some of us, maybe we're struggling. We're struggling with being consumed by the things of the world and we find our identity in the things of the world and who people say that we are or in our past. Rather, God, throughout this study, I pray that you would remind us that we are in Christ. The cross of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, God, that that changes everything for us. And if we don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today would be that day of salvation for us. That we would confess our sins and repent of of those sins. God, if we're struggling with our identity, that we would just make this commitment to get into Ephesians and to let the Word get in us and to take hold of us and to change us. Father, if we're struggling in our marriage or in parenting, as we were reminded recently, God, the Gospel changes all of that. The gospel can bring peace where there is chaos. The gospel brings hope where there is hopelessness. The gospel brings life where there is death. So Jesus, bring the power of the gospel into our lives and into our church. Lord, as as our church is growing, as we are having new people join us and and new people uh, visit with us, Lord, my prayer is that Northside will grow in a way that is healthy, in a way that is biblical, in a way that reflects what Ephesians looks like. So God, speak to us now. As we, as we sing, God praises unto you one last time this morning as the body of Christ here at Northside. Would you just speak to us, uh, convict us. Um, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing all the way through uh, a praise song. I'm going to be here for, for the first part, and I'm just going to go over and worship. So if you'll stand, if you need to come, if you need prayer, if you need to pray at the altar, it's open. Just respond to the Word of God in praise this morning.
1: Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh my soul. Worship His holy time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing slow to anger, your name is great and your heart is kind, for all your goodness I will keep on singing, ten thousand reasons for my heart to find.
3: about upward in our meeting today
0: what do these five things have in common the Great Commission the Great Commandment the Gospel Jesus and the glory of God well at least one of those is the answer to 99% of every Sunday school question ever asked um, also it's five things that we try to accomplish out on this field when we do upward um, Obviously, we're the Great Commission the gospel are forefront. We're trying to get the gospel out to the lost people. Great commandment. We want to love our neighbors. We love ourselves because we love God. Uh, we, we try to boldly proclaim Jesus while we're out there. And, of course, it's all, all done to the glory of God. So, la Deo Gloria, the glory of God alone. So, if you're interested in volunteering and Upward in any way, we're having an informational meeting tonight at 4 o'clock here. we will just kind of talk about the season in general, um, You know, answer any specific questions you may have. We have evaluations the next two Saturdays. Um, the parents and players will be here from 9 to 11. We could use your help, and even if you aren't going to be a coach, if you could just come help to those evaluations. If you can run a stopwatch and count um, and add, do a little adding, we can use you. If you can't do that, you can stand and look pretty, and we can use you as, as an attraction. Um, in Sunday school, we've been studying the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13, and kind of conc- jesus concludes that with you know you need to be you need to be alert you need to be ready you need to be busy about the father's business there's a classic bumper sticker that says jesus is coming look busy um so i, I but i we, we need to be more than just superficially busy. we need to be about genuine kingdom business and upward is one of one of the ways you can do that you can form a relationship with a family um uh, over the course of a season you could it, it opens the door for sharing the gospel with them because you know at least half the people that come out here are not affiliated with the church and a lot of those who are it's not the church that teaches sound doctrine so there's a lot of lost people are going to be in our field we'll have four to five hundred new new folks who don't normally come here on the season we already have hundred eleven registered which is more than we had last year and we still have another week of registration so we're going to be we're going to be uh, maxing out our, our capacity this year. So we need all the volunteers we can get. So if, you, if the Lord lays it on your heart, if you feel called to do that, please show up to this evening and we'll, we'll uh, get you on the right path. Right, thanks.
3: And don't forget to be here tonight also at 530. Thinking about our message, right? We have teachers. We have people in, in staff positions. We have students who are in Christ and they are in schools. So part of our prayer is that God would raise them up, that they would be bold. They would understand who they ultimately are, and they would go in, that the Word of God would increase and would prevail mightily among our students and our teachers. Bill is our Deacon of the Week, so he's going to come, dismiss us with a word of prayer. So if you'll stand, don't forget, if you haven't voted yet for uh, our new deacons, you can do that in the Fellowship Hall uh, as long as you are a member.
1: God, thank you for the privilege to come and give us another week to come worship you together as a group. We're so grateful for this church and just being allowed to be here to glorify you thank you for the reminder that our identity is in Christ our only hope is in Christ and I pray that in this coming week as we leave this church we remember our identity in you and display it to others until we meet again next week protect us and we ask this in Jesus name